How are we doing this morning? I'm going to give a couple of minutes. Uh, it's only my kiddos today, but around this time when we have church, this will be the time in which kids will go to children's church. Um, so just as a, another announcement, we talked about last week, we're going to start having children's church during this time. So um, if you've got friends and family who have kids, be sure and let them know that we're having uh, programs and services and stuff like that available. Uh, here at ACC. Why don't we go to God in prayer? Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your name. We praise your name above all names, Lord. We're grateful for this chance that you give us to gather together in prayer and to sing worship to you. And most importantly, Lord, we're thankful for the time you give us to study your word. We ask that you would open our hearts today to your word. We ask that you would soften our hearts so that we would receive your message, that we would apply it in our lives, that we would not just be Christians on Sunday, but all throughout the week, Lord. Father, I ask that you would pour into me the gift of preaching, that you would make my words clear and concise, that those who were listening uh, would hear this message, that they would take it into their hearts, they would hear your words, and that they would receive transformation through your word, Lord. And we pray all of these things in your precious name, in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're working through a little mini-series. We started last week. We've been looking at the last part of the Great Commission. Remember, Jesus says, go into all nations, make disciples, baptize them. And teach them to obey. That's our four commands. And then the promise he gives us at the end is, and I am with you always, or I will be with you always to the end of the age. And what we're going to look at these next few weeks, today, next week, um, and we looked at it last week, we're looking at what it means when we have Jesus with us. So last week we talked about forgiveness. We talked about the forgiveness that we receive, the ability to forgive that God gives us. And one of the things I hit on at the very end of last week's message was this idea that forgiveness sets us free. And so I kind of want to use that to segue into today's message and talk about the freedom that we receive when we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, when we have Jesus Christ as our Lord. Uh, we read in John 6 a little earlier, a couple of different times. This is from John 8. This is John 8, 31, if you wouldn't mind turning there. And you'll have to bear with me because I usually put markers in here and I forgot to. So you're just going to have to look it up in real time with me. I like reading off the actual Bible better than the, the screen. John 8, 31. It says, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, if you really are my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And notice what Jesus says there. It kind of ties in with our Great Commission theme, right? He says, if you hold to my teaching, if you obey my teaching, that's commandment number three in the Great Commission. And then he says, if you really are my disciples, right? That's commandment number two in the Great Commission. And then he says, if you do these things, if you hold to my teaching, if you obey my teaching, if you really are my disciples, then the truth will set you free. 
And when I think about that word freedom, it's kind of a word we throw around a lot, especially here in this country, right? We talk about freedom a lot. Our national anthem, we're the land of the free. The Declaration of Independence says that all men are created equal with the right to life. Liberty, it's another fancy word for freedom, and the pursuit of happiness. We even have a phrase that we say, right? We, when we want to imply that someone has a right to do something or to be somewhere, we'll say, yeah, it's a free country, isn't it? Who's ever heard someone use that expression, right? So we use this word freedom. We talk about freedom a lot. We understand it. But do we really know what freedom means? If I walked up to you, let's pretend for a second that English was my second language, or maybe I was a small child and I didn't speak English very well, and I wanted to know, what is freedom? How would you define freedom to me? Anybody, shout it out. Okay, you're not being restrained, okay. Uh, so what else? Give me some ideas. What pops in your head when you hear freedom? The ability to do what I want. And that's typically what people would say, right? The right to do whatever you want. And the thing about freedom is, is that's not what freedom means. There's another word to describe the right to do whatever you want. And that word is called license. Those are two different things. Okay, the word license is the ability to do whatever you want, whenever you want, without consequence. When somebody says, why can't I be standing here? It's a free country, isn't it? Usually what they mean is, license not. When we say one word, we mean the other, especially when we talk about uh, our country and, and American freedom. But even when we're talking about true freedom, I mean, look, I'm, a, I'm about as red-blooded, gung-ho, red, white, and blue American as you can get, but even I understand, most people understand that even freedom in our country has limits, right? We kind of understand that. There's a phrase, uh, I have a right to swing my fist and it ends where your nose begins. Has ever heard that? Okay, well, now you have. You can use that. You can say, you have a right to swing your fist, but it ends where my nose begins. So we understand that. But I didn't prepare this message, and I didn't come here to talk to you all about political freedom. Um, I want to talk to you all about Christian freedom and the freedom that we receive in Christ. Instead of the right to do whatever you want to do, instead of license, Christian freedom is the right to do what God did you to do. And the right to be who God created you to be. That's a big difference, isn't it? Than the right to do whatever you want to do. It's the right to do what God intends for you. And I found that if you ever want to get a good idea of what God's intention for creation is, we have a book in here that we can turn to that describes God's original creation and his intention for creation. We can look. It's the very first book of the Bible. We can look in Genesis. So turn with me, if you would, to Genesis chapter 2. And I'm going to start in verse 9. Excuse me. I'm going to start in verse 8, actually. And then we'll read verse 9. Chapter 2, verse 8. 
It says, now, God, now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east. He put a man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And then we read a little bit about the, the waters from Eden, which, are, which is important in Scripture, but that's not what I want to touch on. I want to scroll down here. I want to go down to verse 15 and pick there. Verse 15 says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. I find it interesting that the first thing God says to Adam, the first thing he says after he places him in the, in the garden, he says, you're free to eat from any tree, but there's one you must Think about the kind of freedom that God gives Adam there. God says, you have free will. You have agency. Any tree, and I won't stop you. But there's a catch. Right? God gives Adam freedom to do what he wants, but he does not give him freedom to do what he wants without consequence. He says, whatever you do, don't eat from that tree, because if you do, you will die. But I'm not going to stop you. I'm going to allow you to make that choice. And what I find interesting here, this is one of the very few times when we use the word freedom, when God uses the word freedom in the Bible, it's, you are free to. Uh, I did a search, there's only about seven or eight times in the Bible where the words free to do something is used. And almost every other time we hear the word freedom, we get the other definition, somebody shout out, not restrained. You are free from. God gave the Israelites freedom from Egypt. After they were sent into exile, the Israelites were free from Babylon. Every single time the people of Israel, excuse me, were in captivity or oppressed or troubled or in battle, God gave them, gave them freedom from their restraints. So I think that's a very important way to think about Christian freedom. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Well, what does the truth set free from? We're not slaves in Egypt. We're not exiled in Babylon. There's a lot of things, really. Jesus sets us free from our death. He sets us free from sin. He sets us free from the prospect of eternal judgment. But one of the things I want to take note of, especially in John 8.32, what Jesus sets us free from, the, the answer is right there in the verse. The truth will set you free. Well, if the truth sets us free, what does truth set us free from? Sets us free from lies, right? Satan is the master of lies. His entire 
purpose is to lie to you and get you to believe that the lies really are the truth. The very first thing God did after he put Adam in the garden was this. he gave him this freedom and he gave him the consequences. The very first thing Satan did in the garden was what? Was to lie. Surely you won't die. Surely you won't die if you eat of this tree. And they believed that lie. There's a, there's a real famous story by an ancient Greek philosopher. It goes something like this. There were three men who were chained inside of a cave from their birth. Okay, I want you guys to picture this. From the time they were born, they were held captive in this cave, and they were tied up in such a way that all they could see was the wall in front of them. And as they grew up, there was a fire in the cave behind them. And as they grew up, people would pass by in between them, behind them, and the fire. If you can kind of picture it. So here's right here. Here's the wall. Here I'm standing. And people would pass by here, and they would hold up different objects. They'd hold up a cat and say, this is a cat, and walk by. They would walk through and say, this is a person, and walk by. And so the men would see these shadows on the wall, and they would hear the description of what they would hear their entire life. Everybody kind of picture in this scene here? Well, one day, one of the men managed to break free from his shackles, and he went outside of the cave. Now, bear in mind, he spent his entire life looking at shadows on the wall, thinking that that's what reality was. And so you could imagine when he steps outside and he sees this world of color and beauty and magnificence. At first, he goes outside and he starts to think that all the shadows on the ground are the real things. He sees a shadow of a tree on the ground and he says, that must be a tree. And after a little bit of time of being outside and letting his eyes adjust to the light, he starts to come to the realization that, no, this, this thing up here is actually the tree. This furry orange critter that's walking around, that's the real cat. The shadow is just what the cat produces. And he was so excited that he discovered that there were real trees and real people and real cats. And so he ran back into the cave and he grabbed his buddies and he said, guys, 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 there's a whole world out there that you haven't seen. All this stuff we've been seeing our entire life, they're just shadows. How do you think the people, the two men that were still left in the cave, how do you think they responded to that? Yeah, somebody say they're crazy. I'm going to need to fact check that. This is crazy. I know what a cat looks like. I've seen cats my entire life. And you're trying to tell me that it's something different? So yeah, in the story, and obviously it's a made-up story, it's, a, it's a, like a Greek philosophy question and all of this other stuff, but in the story, the men who were chained in the cave refused to let themselves free. They refused to leave the cave because they could not believe that there was something better out there. They could just not wrap their minds around there was something more real than what they had seen their entire life. And I can't think about, I can't help but think about the shadows that our world tries to convince us are today. 
the things that our culture tries to tell us is true and good and real, but we know it's false. I'd love if you would open up to Matthew chapter 6 with me. It'll be in Matthew 6, starting in verse 19. Jesus is speaking here. He says, Do not stop on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for your treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. And on this next section, it seems like it's a different section, but it kind of ties into what Jesus is talking about, especially when we think about the shadows that the world tries to convince us are real. The eye of the lamp is... Excuse me, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? If you know someone who's walking around in spiritual darkness, if you've got a friend or a family member who just can't wrap their heads around why they should become a Christian, why they should invite Jesus into their life. you got to understand that they're living in a cave and they've been seeing shadows on the wall their entire life. And what happens when you're in a room and you turn the lights off and you stay in that room for a long enough time? What do your eyes do? They adjust to the darkness. You can walk around in a dark room. If you've been in a dark room long enough, you can walk around and not even notice that the lights are off. And when I think about this passage, this, this message from Jesus, I can't think, help think about our culture is constantly bombarding us and telling us to store up our treasures on earth. From the time we're small children in grade school, You'd better do well in school. You better learn your alphabet because you want to make sure you do well in, in grade school. Because you want to get into middle school and junior high. You better do well in junior high and high school. You better study up. You better do all that because you want to be able to get into a good college. Oh, you, when you get to college, you better make sure you're paying attention in school and doing a good job in college because you want to be able to get a good job. Hard in that job, you better dedicate your entire life to that job because maybe someday you might want to work up into management. You better be a good manager, you better devote yourself to that company because someday maybe you want to start saving up for a house or for retirement. You better start investing that money. And then you get into retirement, and it's like, oh, you've got all this money that you've saved up for retirement, but you better invest it into a college fund for your grandkids so that they can go to a good college, so that they can get a good job so that they can retire and give money to their grandkids to get a good job. Is that what our life is? Just a series of things we need to do so that we can do the next thing, so that we can do the next thing. The world's keeping us busy, so then what? What next? 
storing up our treasures on earth. And look, that's not to say that hard work isn't important. I grew up on a farm. I understand it. I grew up throwing hay bales and digging ditches and doing all that stuff. I understand that sometimes you got to do the stuff you need to do to survive. That's not what I'm talking about. All I'm saying is this. At some point, they're going to put me in a box and they're going to lower me down into the ground. And I'm going to have friends and family members who are going to stand around that hole in the ground or maybe in a church somewhere or in somebody's house and they're going to talk about me. Hopefully, not anytime soon, but it will happen. And you know what I hope they don't say about me? He used to spend a lot of time writing those sermons. Man, he was really good at putting in hours in the office. Man, he used to just work overtime all the time. He was such a good worker. What are they going to say about you? I hope they say things like, she always had the kindest heart. I hope they say things like, he used to always open the Bible and read the scriptures with me. Man, that person, they would give me the shirt off their back if they could. They really lived Christ. I hope they say that person, I hope they say you fulfilled your purpose in Christ. You were the person that God intended you to be. But we still haven't quite nailed down exactly what that purpose is yet, have we? What is it that God intends us to be? Well, I told you that the first book of the Bible is a good place to look when we want to know God's intentions for us. Another good book just happens to be the last of the Bible. The first one tells us God's original intention in His creation, and the last one tells us the glory that will be revealed when He returns again. So I want you to open up to, I know we're flipping all over the place today, I want you to open up to Revelation chapter 1. It's easy to find. And this is the very beginning of the book of Revelation. This is the introduction. So I'm going to start in verse 4. This is where the Apostle John is starting off his letter. He says, John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before the throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. First of all, notice there, we get an introduction of who Jesus is, first and foremost. And then he says, To him who loves us and who has freed us from our sins by his blood. Right, so we get this freedom idea, right? Freed us to do what? He has made us to be a kingdom and priest, to serve His God and Father, to Him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. The word there in the Greek, freed, it literally means untied, unchained, unloosened, unshackled. 
We were chained to our sins. We were chained to the world. And Jesus Christ unlocked the shackles for us. Why? So that we could be a kingdom. So that we could be priests. So that we could serve Him. This is, this is one of those concepts that if you're a Christian, you understand it. If Jesus is the Lord of your life, this makes perfect sense to you. Yeah, of course. Why wouldn't I want to serve God? But to somebody who's never heard the gospel, for somebody who hasn't accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, it, it kind of sounds like the dumbest thing you've ever heard, right? Because somebody who's not in the fold is going to hear that and say, well, if I was a slave to my sin, why would I want to just turn right around and become a slave to God? That doesn't make any sense to me. And maybe if I was a better preacher, if I was a little bit better with words, I would be find a good way to explain it to make sense. But I'm not. All I can say is I've been there. I've lived on both sides of those shackles. I've lived in the cave, I've lived in the darkness, and I've seen the light. And I'm begging you, I'm imploring. I've been locked up too, I know what that's like. And until you get to the other side, until you realize how much better it is to become a servant of God than a servant to your sins, the best you, I can do is just say, I promise you, trust me. I'm begging you, pleading. And you can tell this person, if you know people who are walking in spiritual darkness, if you would just let Jesus unshackle your chains for a minute. Just trust me. Just let Jesus set you free. Let him lead you into the light and you can see there's a whole world out there and you've just been staring at shadows on the wall your entire life. Trust me because I know I've lived the lie and I've heard the truth. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. From condemnation. Paul talks about this too in Romans. Flip on over to Romans with me, please. This is Romans 8. We're going to read the whole thing here. Romans 8, verse 1. Or there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh. Think about what that is. Not only did Jesus come and undo your shackles, but he came and lived a life in the flesh so that he could experience it with us. So that we would have no excuse because he's experienced, he knows what temptation is like. He knows what it's like to be tempted by sin and to not give in. He knows what it's like to grieve and to lose loved ones. He knows what it's like to suffer and die. 
That's how bad that God wants to have a relationship with you. He died for you. And then Paul says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. I want to pause right there. If y'all got a highlighter or a little note, we're going to be coming back to this next week when we talk about being set free from the flesh. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. When you're chained to your sins, when you're chained to the flesh, you cannot please God. You are literally bound from being able to have a relationship with God as long as you're bound to this world, as long as you're bound to the flesh. But, he says, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. And if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But Christ is in you. Even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. We're set free from death and damnation and destruction so that we can inherit eternal life with Jesus. It says, And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also have life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. But if you live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Remember? Why would I want to be set free just to be a slave again? He says the Spirit of the flesh does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are His children, then we're His heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in His sufferings, in order that we may also share in His glory. I told you I was going to read the whole thing, but I want to... Move over here. Skip on down to verse 31. All that in mind. He says, What shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If you've been set free by Jesus, there's no burden He cannot bear for you. He says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? 
Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus died. More than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? For as it is written, your... Sorry. For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Now listen up, y'all. Verse 38. He says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We're set free so that we can serve Him, so that we can experience His love, and there ain't nothing on this earth that can change that. The only possible way you can go back in those chains is if you choose to do it yourself. Because God ain't going to put you back in those chains. Satan doesn't have the power to put you back in those chains. The angels aren't going to put you back. This world has no power over you. Really take that in. You have agency, you have choice, just like Adam did in the garden. It's on you. You have that confidence. We're set free from our sins. We're set free from the law. We're set free from this notion that we have to somehow complete a checklist or follow a series of rules in order to earn God's love. When you stop trying to earn God's love and instead you simply accept God's love and you submit to Him and you make Him Lord of your life. That's good news. I've got another, one more scripture I want to read because I've got some really good news. Because I've been talking about the kind of freedom that God gives believers, but there's a kind of freedom, there's a gift that God gives to all of His creation. And I mean all of us. There's something that God gives every single one of us, whether we're Christian or Jews or atheists or Muslims. I mean all. I want to look at Acts chapter 8. I'm going to be reading in Acts chapter 8, verse 26. He says, Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Kandaki, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. And so this Ethiopian eunuch is not a Christian. He's not a Jew. He knows God's word, but he's not ethnically tied to the faith. Keep that in mind. 
The Spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And this is the passage of Scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and at the lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. That's Isaiah 53, in case you wanted to know. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Listen up, y'all. This is, this is important. Verse 36 says, As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And if you've got a, if you've got a, a King James or an older version, you might have a verse 37 that says, uh, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And the eunuch answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Um, I don't have time to talk about that verse. Uh, you'll notice it's not there in your newer Bibles. It's in the older ones. If you want to know more about it, come find me after church. But what I really want to get on is that thing that the eunuch says, There is water. What stands in my way of being baptized? And what did, what did Philip do? He says, And he gave the orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. That's important stuff. Every person alive, atheist, Muslim, Jew, even, even Iowa Hawkeyes fans, have the freedom to make Jesus Christ their Lord. God does not prevent people from choosing Him. There's water. What stands in my way of being baptized? And Philip says, nothing. Let's go. Let's do it. And the reason that's important, remember that agency thing with Adam in the garden, right? God says, you're free to choose. We're still free to choose. God, in His infinite wisdom, gave us the ability to come to Him freely. And He already done the heavy lifting. He's already sent His Son to die on the cross. He's already atoned for your sins. And all you got to do is say yes. Through your repentance, through your baptism, you have access to the greatest freedom you could ever imagine. All you have to do is accept it. If you or anyone else you've known has ever been told, well, Maybe God just decided long ago that you weren't going to be saved. Come talk to me. Have them talk to me. Because that's not what Scripture teaches. If you've ever been told or heard someone say, you know, you should really get a handle on your sin before you come to God and get baptized, come talk to me. Because that's not how it works. I've heard people say, like, oh, I can't become a Christian yet. My life is too messed up. I need to fix myself before I can get saved. 
That's like getting yourself clean before you go take a bath. It just doesn't make any sense. If you've ever been told you can't get baptized until you pass a test or take a class or go through a series of steps or go through this catechism or this thing or that thing or jump through these hoops, come talk to me. Have that person talk to me. Because that eunuch didn't take a class. He didn't have to pass a test. He didn't have to jump through any hoops. He said, there's water. What stands in my way? Here's another one. If you've ever been told, yep, we're going to have a baptism party in July. So say your confession and your little prayer here right now, and then we're going to round everybody up in July, and we're all just going to dunk them one by one. Don't do that. Come talk to me. That eunuch didn't have to wait for a baptism party in July. In under control first. He says, there's water. What's stopping me? What prevents me from reenacting the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? It ain't us. We're not going to stand in the way. Let me tell you something. We don't have baptism classes. We don't have waiting lists. We don't have tests you have to take. We don't make you fix your own sin. My phone number is on that board out front, and if you need to give it out to somebody, give it to them, and they can call me anytime, day or night. They can call me at midnight on a Tuesday, and I will make sure somebody else gets out of bed and comes and baptizes you. No, just kidding. <laughs> I'm not going to make you wait. I won't even make you wait until the upcoming Sunday. I'll drive up from Gary. Because if you want a relationship with the Lord, I'm not going to stand in your way. I'm not going to be the one who says, nope, you got to wait. Because you know what? In between Thursday and Sunday, if Jesus comes down on that white horse between then, I don't want that on my conscience. Tell you what even better. If you or anyone else you know wants to make a commitment to the Lord, I won't even make you wait until the end of my sermon. I'm serious. If you have the Spirit, if somebody is in here and has the Spirit and wants to commit to the Lord and they just can't wait until the end of my message, we'll stop it right there. I don't care. We'll fill the tub up. We're getting ready to sing a song of invitation. And that's what that song is for. That's a time set aside so that if somebody wants to make Jesus Christ their Lord, that's what that time is for. But I'm telling you, it doesn't have to be during that song. It doesn't have to be during that time. It doesn't even have to be on a Sunday. You have my permission, and anybody you know has my permission to call me anytime, day or night, and say, there's water. What prevents me from being baptized? Because I believe God wants all of us to be free. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for your word. So grateful for the freedom that you give us. 
We're grateful for the free agency that you give us, the right to choose to make you our Lord. And God, sometimes we use that agency and that freedom to do things we shouldn't do. We know it. We know we mess up. And we're so, we just want to say thank you for your forgiveness, Lord. Thank you for not making us pass a test before we can come to you. Thank you for not making us wait. Thank you for allowing us to serve you. Father, I just, I ask that if, if you would please be with us to give us the strength, to give us to talk to people about you, to talk to people about your salvation, to talk to people about the importance of putting our old sinful selves to death so that we're no longer chained to our sins, so that we're no longer chained to the world, but we are free to serve you, Lord. And I just ask that you would be with us, that you would give us that strength. I thank you for this church. I thank you for this time. I pray that you would guide us all throughout the week as we go out and we make disciples of all nations. And we pray all of these things in the name of your son, Jesus. And the church said, Amen. So right now we're going to sing a song of invitation. Again, this is an opportunity for someone to commit their lives. If you all at all, please stand with me as we sing the song that I don't have the bulletin to tell you what it is. So.